Welcome to the Fix Your Sciatica podcast, where we meet with experts and clients and discuss how to manage your sciatica and low back pain without the use of medications or surgery. I'm your host, Dr. Ashley Mack, and I'm a physical therapist as well as the founder of iFixYourSciatica.com, a go-to resource for pain management. When you're looking at the human body, we have our skin, we have our muscles, we also have our bones and our tendons, but one area that often gets overlooked is what is called the fascial system. And today I'm actually meeting with an expert in fascial system and how it works um, through a, a cool mutual connection. And so she was very kind to be able to join us today and talk about the fascial system and how its role uh, plays into how our body functions and also how we deal with pain. So today we have Anna Ray of GST Body. Thank you so much for being on today's episode. Thanks so much for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. I love talking about this stuff. I, I'm really excited because it's definitely something that, um, one, it gets overlooked, but also something that there's a lot of controversy behind it because you're going to have a lot of different opinions and those opinions are going to be very, very strong, either for it, against it. Some people say it doesn't even exist. And so before we actually even talk about the fascial system, some of these listeners might not have ever heard your name before, um, and they're just hearing you for the first time. And so for the listeners, tell us a little bit more about yourself and how you got involved with the work that you're doing now. Yeah. Um, okay. Let's jump into this because it is it's kind of a mystery organ or a mystery system. And I kind of tripped into it by accident. Um, I was 18 years old and I was living in San Francisco and I was trying to be a professional dancer. I had just finished my Pilates certification course and had tried to um, uh, basically get into other universities and I wanted to be able to go in and get training in my dance and my body started to do some really crazy things. And even though I was pretty healthy and I was um, in pretty good condition, you know, by any professional standards, I had a pretty good body for dance. Um, I was living in a body that started to feel like I was 80. So I'm 18, I'm feeling 80, but it's a really confusing thing because this wasn't just like, oh, my low back hurts or, oh, I have a neck tension. It was like really multifaceted. So the first kind of symptom of my pain was that I felt like I was wearing a straight jacket. And on the inside, I would have these like blunt, sharp, uh, serrated objects that would just kind of like poke at me or be uncomfortable or give me shooting pain or, and it wasn't just in one area, it was like kind of systemic. And then I would also feel like almost every day that I had done the hardest workout in my life, the kind where you like have a hard time sitting down on the toilet or like pulling your shirt out over your head. And yet I wouldn't be doing these really hard, aggressive things with my body. And that was kind of like, what's going on. And then I had like other symptoms that were even not related to kind of muscular skeletal stuff where I would have digestive bubbles and IBS type symptoms. Um, and probably the most scary was symptom was uh, what was going on in my lungs. So I would go out some days and I'd be like running through Golden Gate Park and I'd feel like I'd been training for a marathon. My body just kept rhythm and everything was synchronous and it felt great. And the next day I would go back and try to run and I felt like a 10 pack a day smoker. And I'd be like, this is so volatile. And I would go to these East meets West and trying to find different experts and applied kinesiology, chiropractic, acupuncture, all of these different disciplines, trying to really find out what was happening in this young body that was very volatile, that seemed, you know, unconnected. And so um, I had done enough Pilates where I had taken a workshop as part of my certification on rolfing. And, you know, it was more through the framework of alignment and kind of like 
um, some of like what the body is expressing emotionally, like emotional traumas and, you know, patterning in the tissues. So there was one point in my studio, my small studio in San Francisco, I was laying there on my reformer, really desperate because I was very uncomfortable. And I'd asked some of my mentors if I, you know, why is this happening? Or can you tell me what? And I just had this little voice inside my head that was like, this isn't muscular. This isn't skeletal. This isn't, I said, could this be fascia? I mean, I I kind of have heard of it, but it's something other. It was this other thing. It was another option that could actually address some of this stuff. And so um, slowly but surely, I um, kind of the next 20 years, <laughs> I won't go through every detail, but I just dug into this concept of fascia. I had had a 10 series of rolfing. I had seen Heller work um, professionals and, you know, had kind of tapped into the manual side of fascia, but none of it really dented my condition. I would kind of maybe have some opening, my 10 series, I'd have some emotional outbreaks like they talk about in terms of somatic releases. Um, but as a professional dancer, I would go back and do my dance and I'd be like, okay, the symptoms are back. What is it that I'm doing that is actually triggering my symptoms? And why is this kind of happening on a um, more holistic level? So um, I kind of started just figuring stuff out. I went and studied, or, um, you know, kind of poked around and tried to grab uh, what I could from fashion. But like you said, it's kind of like from the Western community, fascia is just stuffing. It's kind of auxiliary. You cut it away in your anatomy classes. It doesn't have a lot of significance. It's just connective tissue. And then to like these like somaticists, they're like, this is the most mysterious, wonderful like thing ever. And then halfway in between, I was like, there's not a lot at that time. This is 25 years ago. There wasn't a lot other than like Tom um, Myers stuff. And so I got the fascial anatomy trained and some of it related and some of it didn't. And I was like, okay, I am feeling stuff that's very different and I'm able, well, so let's say this, I felt things that were very different than what I was seeing in the textbooks. And most of the textbook stuff on fascia was all very confusing, fibroblast this and all of this science stuff. And I was like, this doesn't make, I, I, I can't wrap my mind around this. And so I, I kind of was like, I'm gonna put that stuff aside for a minute and just really dig into what I'm doing. And I discovered in this journey that um, fascia, and I have the words now because I ended up finding this some of the science that goes to it, but I could control the contractile nature of fascia the way you contract a muscle on purpose. So I want to contract my bicep, I can do that. And I could do the same thing with fascia. And fascia created a very different physical experience when you control this. It's not just a line to be stretched. It's not just a train thing that connects. It actually became kind of like this current of release that would allow me to remodel and structure a lot of the things that were happening in my body. So cut to, I was teaching, I had a Pilates studio and I would just like take these techniques that I was kind of healing myself with and started teaching it to others and started seeing some really significant changes in people's conditions, like all across the board, like, you know, um, even depression and, you know, brain injury. And so all of a sudden fascia started to like explode my worldview of like, it's not actually just myofascia. It's not just physical healing. It's like systemic and how it affects the entire body for your whole health. That's, there you go. That's an amazing story. Um, <laughs> a lot to unpack there. And I'm going to go ahead and backtrack. I mean, I think one Please. of the most, I think one of the 
when it comes to, um, let's just say when it comes to working with professionals to solve a specific problem, there's mainly two, there's two very large categories of professionals. You have the folks who end up going through, say, a very traditional type of education. You have your doctors, your chiropractors, acupuncturists, and, and all that. So you have that that one group, and then you have um, people such as yourself who lived this and reached your expertise mm-hmm. and your knowledge actually through self experimentation and actually being able to implement the people that you work with. And so, although your education might not be having to go through all the schooling. You actually know a lot when it comes to implementing this and the people that you work with. And it is, it's a, it's such a shame that you had to go through such an experience for you to understand and realize this, this new, this new concept. Um, but it's also kind of a blessing in disguise because you were able to truly discover this. And yeah. as you were explaining your story, one of the big things that I'm typing some notes as you were telling me this, just so I could follow up. But what was really interesting, you said you're like, I, I was in great shape. I was a, I was a pretty much a professional dancer, but I would feel so destroyed, so beat up from these things weren't nece- that weren't necessarily stressful. And so in bold, I wrote the, the response that what you felt and what your body was responding did not meet the demands and stresses that you put your body through. And so already because of that difference, mm. I know that for me, if I was working with a client who was experiencing that, that would actually start putting off some alarms to be able to say, okay, well, what is happening? Start asking a little bit more questions, deeper questions to be able to say, well, what are we missing? As you, you're absolutely right. It wasn't just muscle. It wasn't just skeletal. It's uh, it's an entirely dynamic thing. And so I'm so glad you were able to, to really experience that, but then also being able to implement it and reinforce the the what you've discovered so that's very very cool yeah. well and it's kind of interesting you bring up a good point of like having like halfway through the journey i was like there's something i'm doing that is messing me up so it wasn't just like me i had to start like questioning being like i'm okay when i do these things i'm not okay when i do these things but when i do the things that i've been taught in my pilates education in my yoga trainings in my you know um even like the anatomy classes that I took, if I would do those things, I would have my flare-ups come back. And so all of a sudden I went through a really big stage of like, I'm doing something different, but I feel wrong. I feel like I'm doing something wrong, even though I'm actually feeling better when I do what I'm taught not to do. And I'm probably sure, I'm sure that we'll come back around and kind of talk about that later when it comes to like, what are we doing that's creating sciatic pain? What are we doing that's like running the body and we're losing our, you know, facility long before we actually die? Our bodies like degenerate faster than we age, if that makes sense. And and what are we doing that causes that? We are going to take a quick break to tell you about our awesome new program called the Sciatica Protocol. If you don't have the time to see a professional, but are tired of trying to figure out this recovery on your own, then the Sciatica Protocol is for you. Harness the power of a knowledgeable physical therapist through your phone. It takes no more than seven minutes per day, and it is designed to help you recover as quickly as possible. It is simple to start, and all you need to do is log into ifixyoursciatica.com forward slash the dash sciatica dash protocol and fill out the nine question quiz to begin. The link for the program is in today's show notes. Yeah, it makes a ton of sense. And yeah, um, we're going to take an even deeper dive into that. Um, But before we do that, I wanted to just one last thing. Um, I think what you did a fantastic job was being able to uh, 
retrace your steps and ident- and and whenever you had these flares where you started to experience these sensations you had you asked yourself you asked yourself like what is happening like what is leading up to this and you started like mapping out all this stuff mm-hmm. and that is i was actually speaking with a, a, a client of mine um it was a new client and when i when i meet with them for the first time our sessions are about an hour long maybe a little bit more depending on how much information i need but the majority of the time, it's actually focusing on a lot of questions. It's a lot of discovery to be able to say, well, what what, what are these triggers? What are you experiencing? Mm-hmm. And it's our job. And you probably do this uh, as well in your line of work is that we get this information and we start to figure out, okay, this is how we're going to be able to address this issue. Um, before we started recording, I said to you, I was like, one of the big things in my line of work or the way that I conduct myself is I gather all these tools rather than just grab a hammer and hoping that everything I see is a nail we have to figure out what is the best tool for you to use. And it's the same thing to be able to say, all right, let's backtrack, learn a little bit more, get a little bit deeper. What is really needed at this time? And yeah, so- you're bringing up two really good points. Like, I think that we need to approach problem solving. I talk about this a lot. Like your body is your Rubik's cube. And sometimes you got to do two moves to the right and six moves back in order to be able to find it. It's not like this pill that you pop. It's like this very organic, like, um, horticultural experience that's like, I'm going to figure this out in my my superhero skills that I'm ADHD. And so I'm constantly loving to like figure out the problem. Like, why is this happening? And can I turn two this way and six this way? And I might lose some of my green on this side, but the end result is this. And I think that we need to, especially when it comes to pain and taking care of our health is question and observe and go deeper. And I think the other thing is that most people are so busy and I have a I have a bone to pick a lot with. Modern medicine is incredible, but I have a bone to pick with them in terms of the fact that oftentimes we're taught to manage symptoms rather than going to source, rather than going to the actual cause. We start like band-aiding all of these things around and trying to like calm the nerve, just, just any pain is bad. So we're going to just, you know, get the pain to go away rather than like, sometimes you actually have to endure this to get to the other side. Sometimes the source is deeper than the thing you're trying to band-aid. And I think that that's um, the only medical field that I think has like an actual, like legitimate methodology for, for prevention is dentistry, where they came up with like, These three things, you brush like this, you floss like this, and you do this. But nobody else is being like, here's how you body care. You need to do this, you need to do this, and this is how your body works. And so all of a sudden, we have tons of broken bodies laying around, and no one knows how to reassemble them, and and, and a person doesn't know how to heal themselves, which is what I'm really passionate about, is like not always needing you and me, right? I want you to be able to know how to go out and change your own things tire. You got to know how to change your oil. These are basic elements of taking care of your body. Anyway, so I digress, but to your point, we need to be able to like Rubik's cube it and question and figure it out. I love it. A hundred percent right there with you. And then another thing is, uh, well, actually, no, let's go right into it. So um, we've been talking probably for the past 10 minutes about how fascia itself is like really helpful. You discovered how its role, its dynamic role and how your body feels. It was very crucial to be able to just like to overcome a lot of the pain that you were going through, but also how you helped a lot of other people. So for the listeners out there who are like, Anna, you said the word fat, we said the word fascia like a hundred times in this episode already. What is that? 
Tell us a little bit more about what fashion is. Okay. I'm going to give you a little bit more of a holistic view, and it's not one that's often promoted, but I think it helps people understand it and conceptualize it better. Fascia, when you say fascia, it's literally equivalent to saying cotton, okay? It is the fabric and the material that builds your body, holds your body together, gives it structure, gives it shape, gives it form. And when you look at it under the lens, or if you were to kind of cut yourself open, it looks kind of like spider webs that are glistening and kind of jelly-like all over your body. It layers into and through your organs and all the way around, and it looks like a mess. There's really no open, empty space in your body whatsoever. It's always filled with this kind of connective tissue. But that's not what makes fascia so incredible, okay? I use them interchangeably. Fascia is the material and the substance, but what makes it most significant is when you look at it through the holistic view of an entire system. The connective tissue system is just like the endocrine system, the nervous system, the digestive system, the cardiovascular system. It comes complete with its own organs. You know how like the digestive system uses the gallbladder and the kidneys and the, you know, blah, blah, blah. Fascia comes with its own organs, but they're not organs like a mass heart or a gallbladder or a pancreas. They're spread out organs. And they organize, the way these cells organize, are around all your other systems. So there's a fascial organ of the endocrine system, the fascia organ of the nervous system, muscular skeletal system, the ECM is one of the fascial organs. And so when you look at it that way, there's a lot more information, source information, right? Not symptom information, source, because you can start going in and being like, oh, the reason I have digestive issues is that the visceral motility in my body was completely shut down because of what fascia's main role is in the body. So fascia is this highly conductive material, 70% water, 30% fiber. It organizes your body's smart grid, Okay, it's like literally the planet's mark grid where it's modulating high voltage frequency from the outside, low frequency from the inside, your heart beating next to your lungs don't interfere. The heart has an EKG, this electric output, the lungs do this and there's a there's an output and there's no interruption. There's this synchronous harmony of motion and the, the thing that's responsible for that is the connective tissue system. So it has a lot of different things that it does, but the most significant thing is that it's energetics. And so when you start looking at the fascial or connective tissue system, what's interesting is that motion becomes kind of like the colon of that system. Motion is the end result of energy leaving the system. And so we need to start looking at motion in terms of how energetics are traveling through this grid, through this meshing, and moving out of the system so it doesn't get stuck and loaded in. And this will come back in our conversation about how we treat the thoracolumbar fascia, why it contributes to sciatic pain. But in, in general, the energetics of fascia is what allows the endocrine system and secretion of hormones to travel freely inside. It's what allows your lungs to expand and contract. And so when your fascia is unhealthy, when you have pathology in this system, it is systemic. And so the uh, in my humble estimation, and I'm not a doctor, but the Western medicine is almost missing an entire like holistic view of these symptoms are not independent. Like I would go to a gastroenterologist and for my guts and they would be like, well, I don't know. And then I'd go to the cardiologist and they'd be like, well, I don't know. And I'd go to the pulmonologist and 
they all are only touching the animal, right? The elephant at one point. So what was so interesting is to really start expanding our definition of how we can influence health total and get out of just muscular skeletal, right? And, and seeing that in terms of um, the whole connective tissue system, it's the only organ, or, or I should say it's the only, no, that's not true. It's one of three body systems that's like a true network that touches and involves everything. And so if we eliminate that in our body care perspective, healing perspective, restorative perspective, even our fitness conditioning, we're missing a huge part of what it truly means to be health and uh, healthy and well. 100% for sure. Um, you bring up this really interesting point, like when you go, like we'll say Western medicine, like you have these various different specialties, which 100% there is a spot for them. But truth be told, it gets very challenging because if you're seeing your cardiologist, you're probably seeing your cardiologist like once every three to six months. And the truth is, is that during those three to six months, there's a lot of things that happen. And if you are only, say, spending 10 to 15 minutes every three to six months, they don't have the opportunity to experience the full picture, which is why we have professionals such as yourself, where you can actually see these people on a little bit more. Because truth be told, now granted that obviously when you first started um, going through the system, it probably took you a little bit longer to reach your conclusions. Mm -hmm. But as you have developed your skills, you're able to reach these conclusions, these focuses, these, we'll say, treatment modalities at a much faster pace because of the time, the experience. But it's ultimately being able to have that communication relationship with the person that you're working with. And I mean, I wish everything could happen within 10 minutes, but truth be told, we have to spend a little bit more time discovering that a little bit more. And so, um, so let's talk about um, sciatica pain in itself, right? So um, when I evaluate sciatica pain, um, I want to figure out very similar. I, I want to figure out truth be told, uh, not truth be told, but I always say this, but um, I want to figure out what's the main source and, and identify, and there's a process to identifying what's the main source of that pain to begin with. So I have my methodology and be able to say, there's three principles that I focus on, identify the activities that make you feel the best. We do more of them, identify the activities that make you feel the worst, do less, or we modify. And then from there, we actually develop a plan to get you back into normal functioning. Um, from your standpoint, with your experience and everything that you've seen in the fascial world, what do you see? What have you seen in people who've experienced, who are experiencing or have experienced sciatica pain? Let's talk a little bit more about the fascial system and its relation to, yeah. to a condition like that. So fascia organizes and um, is responsible really for your three-dimensional structuring. Okay. So it is is what aligns where your muscles are and how they're attached to bone and the shape that they hold and how they're functioning. Fascial tissue is very sensitive, right? And it has three times as many receptors in it than regular or any other tissue in the human body. So it's constantly collecting information. Receptors for the listeners is just a um, thing that's listening and reporting sensory experiences, whether it's chemical, light, pressure or mechanoreceptors. And so receptors are really the things that are kind of like informing the body that this is too much pressure, or this isn't the right chemical, I shouldn't have this in my body. And so fascia is really listening and modulating all of this information. The way that fascia ends up affecting in our um, body pains and stuff is that fascia, I try not to get too technical in these, in these podcasts because it's, um, okay, so 
the, the mechanics of the body determine how fascia moves energy. Very similar because it's fluid versus solid. A lot of the things that we do in life are actually locking up the fascial connectivities and the fascial energy that's moving through. When fascia receives too much abrasive energy, too much friction, too much load, it actually acts like a callus. Soft skin does this. If you go out into your garden and you start shoveling and you don't usually do gardening, within an hour, you're going to have like little calluses on your hand, okay? Take that and translate that into when you rub inappropriately or you sit too much with a tuck or if you drop your rib cage or if you don't have good suspension in your body, you're loading your tissue inappropriately and fascia doesn't like that. Fascia gets rubbed and it gets agitated and it makes ossification like little calluses. And when fascia is not moving and it ossifies, energy is kind of drawn into it. It almost becomes like kind of this sinkhole of where energy goes. So we look at our modern lifestyle and we look at our um, training, how we actually use our bodies on a regular basis. And I wanted to cover three things for your readers today of what those things are. The first problem that creates and leads to sciatica, low back, um, disc herniation, um, digestive issues is the way we conceptualize core. We are thinking in our medical framework that the body is solid. It works on levers and pulleys and all of this kind of mechanical is called solid mechanics. Fascia comes in and turns the world upside down and says, it's not flat. The world's not flat. It's actually fluid. And we actually, when we respond to force like running or picking up our children or sitting depressed in our office, our body behaves more like a water balloon flying through the air than it does a stick. And when you start looking at that, you start seeing that our whole principle for treatment is based on kind of the wrong model. For example, if you have low back pain, which is what is it's a primary and it's the initiator of what's going on with sciatica, when you um, go to a doctor, most of them are like, oh, we need to strengthen your core. So they teach you to tighten your ribs down to your hips, push your back flat against the floor, take out any of your curvature and tighten all of the soft tissue around your middle. I looked at that when I was doing my discovery and I'm like, this is so weird. There's only one place in the entire human body that doesn't have bone and it's right around my middle. So why are people telling me that I should make something that's soft, bone-like? We don't wanna make our torsos strong and bone-like. So we talk about the core and what this ends up happening. I'm gonna show you, remember I said I was gonna demonstrate some stuff to you? So the first principle of core is take your hips to your ribs, tighten your abs and flatten your back. Now, tell me, sir, doctor, where you see all the force going straight down into. Right down into your low back and closing this. Now, when you tighten your core and hold it, two things happen. All of a sudden, this becomes rigid, and I have to work and torque on my proximal joints much more rather than moving my spine first and letting my spine be the most uh, fluid. So instead of you having to hold a solid core from solid mechanics, and trying to tighten what is painful, what if the antidote to low back pain and sciatica is not tighten more, but actually loosen the bolts? Instead of trying to go in and tighten more, we give more fluidity and more motion. Now, the other thing is, is that in order to create a tuck, the second thing, the other, um, in order to create a solid core the way we're taught to, we're taught to tuck our pelvises. And this is where we start going down into the lower hemisphere and looking at pathology. We get to do this through laying on our backs, and so it doesn't make as much sense to the, the common person, but when you lay on your back and you try to push your back flat, thinking that you're going to protect it, you do two things. 
you jam your sacrum down into your pelvis. The sacrum acts like a cork in a bottle and it wedges down in there. And it actually gets stuck so your spine cannot rotate while you walk. And this creates a lot of agitation on the nerve bundles that venerate, which for the only listener just means a fancy word that says goes through or flows through the sacrum. So when you tuck, it jams your low back down. It pushes force into your hips. And then the second thing it does is that it creates lateral rotation, just meaning that your butt tucks under and your legs rotate out. That closes a very important channel for the sciatic nerve that comes out of your sacrum and the greater trochanter that it's a bone on your thigh that sticks out like a hitchhiker. And it takes your sacrum and it takes those two bones and smushes them together. And that channel then becomes compressed and agitated. And when you do that over and over, that fascia gets a, an, acid, uh, an ossification. It becomes bone-like. Ossify means to become bone-like. If your fascia becomes rigid and bone-like, everything that flows through it is going to be compressed, is going to be agitated, is going to constantly have this pull instead of gliding freedom and this, hydri uh, this hydrated tissues, um, it locks you up, okay? So there's couple different things we want to look at. Number one, we need to lift. When you tuck your pelvis to try to get a solid core, you take out all the suspension in your lumbar spine and your pelvis. The pelvis should actually be the suspensory system that takes force and lengthens your spine rather than constantly pulling it under. Okay. And when you can start to get that, then all of a sudden you open this distance and you can start treating where the tissue is restricted and binding around the sciatic nerve. Okay. This is also the same condition that causes sciatic um, pain, causes piriformitis, right? These like really deep um, uh, rotator cuff, or rotator, not cuff, rotator, um, deep six rotator issues comes from how we treat the spine, how we teach the pelvis. And then I was going to talk about that last third thing. So the core, the tucking. There is a huge band of fascia that is in the low lumbar spine. It's called your thoraco or thoracolumbar fascia. And it's this big triangular sheet of fascia. And from a muscular skeletal perspective, people think of it as like a connection between the upper and lower hemisphere for stability. And they think about it as like uh, binding from the paraspinals, which are just muscles on the spine, to your deep abdominal wall for stability, right? And so the thoracolumbar fascia from a muscular connective place plays a huge role in the way that weight is distributed through your motion and how your low back is aligned. But the more important thing about fascial energy and how it moves is that the thoracolumbar fascia with your QL, which is another muscle in your low back, acts like a flow field for hormonal or adrenal um, release. So your adrenal glands sit right at the base of your ribs. And when you get stressed, and we're gonna, I listened to one of your podcasts where a guy was talking about stress, and I wanna bring up two different types of stress. There's psychological stress, and then there's mechanical stress. And there's been really interesting sociological research done that compares these two things where what comes first? Do you take the mechanical position because of the psychological stress, or do you get psychologically stressed because you're mechanically tightening and holding and loading things? They're these two sides of the same coin. I digress for a minute because mechanical loading from tucking drops your rib cage back. 
instead of the thoracolumbar fascia being part of the suspension system becomes a flexor. Your QL, instead of lifting weight out of your sciatica and the compression in your low back starts to load. These muscles, and I'm talking about the low back, should angle up and create this suspension for your upper body while you walk and play. When you pull your ribs down and you push your toe under, you inverse how your low back muscles are aligned. And then it's a load in rather than a lift out of. And I load in and lift out of. If you keep hammering, loading in to your lumbar spine, you are going to end up with sciatica pain because there's no distribution. That channel of stress that comes from the adrenals, whether it's psychological or you know mechanical loading, is going to erode the pathways of moving energy through and then fascia degrades and gets drier and more condensed and more locked down and contributes to the symptoms that we're talking about today. Those are the three things. Should I repeat them real quickly for the listener? Because that was long. Yeah, absolutely. Go for it. Wrong core. We teach the core wrong. We think stability through limiting range of motion and tightening things. Tucking your pelvis to lengthen your low back takes out your lumbar curve, which acts as a suspension system, kind of like the chassis on a car. Stop tucking your pelvis under. It creates rotation in the hips and, um, and it closes the, the track down from the sciatic nerve down through the leg. And then the last thing is, is the placement of the rib cage and how it creates load of the sacrum down into the pelvis. And those three things, I also have three exercises to suggest what people can do immediately to reverse the damaging erosion of that action. You took the, the words right out of my mouth because I was going to say, these listeners are like, okay, Anna, I know that I need to do this, but how? How do I make this possible? What are things that I could do leaving this episode that falls in line with what you're talking about? Perfect. going to give you, I love this. <laughs> Geeking out with really smart people is like one of my greatest choices. Okay, so thanks for um, letting me know. Okay, so two things you want to think about. And then I'm going to give you why. So the first lesson is that you have to incorporate fascial movement throughout your day. You cannot go once or twice a week to a chiropractor. You can't go and have a massage once a week. So my first thing to listeners is that start to look around your life and look for ways that you can make the world around you a jungle gym. When you were a kid, you would hang off of monkey bars. You would twist and turn. You would be starting to use your body all the time. Fascia has a reflex, and it needs to be fluffed every 30 to 45 minutes. You see this in other uh, mammals where they will, every time that they get done resting, they get up and they do this downward dog stretch. They're actually fluxing their fascia. They are sending energy input through its fibers and starting that action. It's almost like, think about the reader, uh, the listener should think about fascia kind of almost like a snow globe. After your sedimentary, like, you know, sitting all day, fascia gets heavy and dense and it feels like it can't move. And so every 30 to 45 minutes, you need to get up and flush, fluff your fascia. Now, you don't have to go do a workout to do this. I want you to look around and be like, there is a handicap ramp. And this comes to our first exercise. You must get active traction, okay? Active traction is like hanging from monkey bars. And where I tell people to do it first is like off their kitchen sink. I'm gonna describe this in three easy steps. Put your hands on the edge of the kitchen sink. Your feet are wide, but they're close enough to the sink that when you bend your knees and try to sit back, you're pulling your sink off the wall, okay? And as you do this, you're 
trying to move each vertebra in your body apart like pop beads or like pearls. And you need to do this on parking meters, on railings, on chain link fences when you're walking your dog. You need to start looking around, grabbing onto a surface, pulling back and trying to get decompression inside your spine, your vertebra, your tissue. Fascia needs two primary actions. Compression, that's like dunking the sweater in the water. And then traction is like wringing it out. So every move you do is a dunk and a pull and a dunk and a pull. If you're at your office and you can't get out, go to the bathroom when you're washing your hands, pull on your sink, do it four times and move on with your day. Neurologically, that will make change faster for people. Your body needs to have layered information rather than here's a huge chunk of information called my therapy. The body goes, I don't know what to do with that. It feels good while I'm there, but I can't change my life with it. And I can't change my body with it. So layer it in. First thing, traction. Pull off of things. Second thing, this is why you're brushing your teeth, waiting in line at Starbucks. Lift your, your toes off the floor, okay? If you just pick up your toes, you can be wearing shoes, it doesn't matter. Lifting the toes pulls your weight back and starts to initiate the suspension in the pelvis. Almost all of us, because we've tucked our pelvises, push all of the weight into the front of our feet. Hello, bunions. Hello, hammer toes. Hello, all of this like really fallen arches. So we want to lift our toes. And if you lift your toes and pull your weight back, then you're going to do toe push-ups. The pelvis pulls back. You're going to feel like you're going to fall over. Almost everybody who lifts their toes are going to feel like they fall over. We lift our toes so we can put our weight evenly on the foot centers of the foot. They're where the weight should be bearing. Lift your toes and then organize your weight. Push the toes back without shoving your pelvis forward. Push the toes into the ground and it's almost like you're making like fists. And we're gonna lift the arches of the feet which complement the placement of your pelvis and where the sciatic nerve comes out of that sacrum. We're looking for these curves through the body. Toe push-ups. do it while you brush your teeth. Filling your car with gas. You can play and live in your body. It does not have to be a separate exercise to do. Third one, primal squats, okay? Most people cannot squat. The chair was invented and we lost our traction and compression. The squatting by the fire is our compression. The traction is up here in our hanging from the trees and we lost any dynamic movement with the chair. You have to get into primal squatting. Most people will have to hold on to the leg of a chair, a leg of a table, but you want to try to pop a squat all the way down where your pelvis is at your heels, kind of like those like um, uh, National Geographic where people are working in fields and they're squatting. Why is this important for sciatica is because this actually tractions the spine but creates hip flexion. When you tuck your pelvis, you eliminate hip flexion. And that's the number one thing that triggers length in the lumbar spine is when the knee comes up, it lengthens your spine. So you have to have hip flexion. Primal squatting will heal a lot of low back and sciatic problems. The last thing you need to do is open the channel that's compressed from tucking with number four stretches. And that's kind of a common one, right? Where you lie on your back in the gym and you cross your right knee or your right ankle over your left knee and then you pull your left knee to your chest, okay? Your legs look like a number four. I would highly suggest doing number four is not seated and not lying down, but doing it with traction. 
When you're in the number four or like a pigeon in yoga, if you can picture that shape, because sometimes a podcast, you have to like really articulate the picture. But the number four stretches is going to open up the channel between the sacral innervation of the sciatic nerve around to the greater trochanter and the pathway goes down to the lateral side of the leg. You need to do this regularly. You could do it in your office. Cross your right leg over your knee and roll your roller uh, chair away from your desk stretching your arms forward onto your chest. Yes? Anytime that you can make this a lifestyle, anytime you can take any one of these exercises, and it's not a routine, it's not a like a protocol, it's like live in your body, live embodied, and start to really gain a wisdom of your own so that you're not always dependent. I don't know about you, but I'm, I'm a teacher, and so I'm like, I want people to literally surpass me. I'm teaching you to fish. I don't want to keep giving you a fish. That doesn't feel successful in my idea. It's like, I still come to me. I like to see you, but if I can empower you to take care of your own body and heal your own pain, then we're all winning. Right. I'm not like constantly having to nurture and, you know, just go out and fix yourself. Anyway, that's my message. Yeah. I love it. I mean, the, let's just say pain management itself, pain management, like when you get the job done, like you don't need any more. And that's, and that's the goal. That's the goal of all of this. And so these action steps are fantastic. Um, when you were listing this stuff and also even just describing the three main mechanisms in regards to the challenges with fashion, what it, and how it actually gets involved with sciatic pain. The big thing that I thought about was this concept of what I like to call it movement nutrition, because mm. when, like Excellent. when it comes, yeah. What was that? It's an excellent. I love yeah, that. Right. Yeah. It's like movement nutrition because when we're like us as humans, like now this is outside of the people who are like super keto or like people are like all about carbs. But when we're like living humans, we need carbohydrates, we need fats, we need proteins. And so balance. we need to have balance. And if we were to say eat a ton of carbohydrates that may put us a little bit more at risk of developing diabetes, but if we eat way too many fats out of control, that puts us into a little bit of a different category. And so to um, one, vary it all up, but then also introduce this throughout our day because, uh, and, and you, you've just said this, and also I've said this in previously and in, in previous episodes, the hour that you spend either in working with Anna or working with me, or even dedicating towards just an active like exercise that literally only counts accounts for 4% of a 24 hour day. And that's so right. if you're doing this say once a week, um, that's even less than single digits. And so being able to put into a movement practice, implement this into your life. And that's going to be the most important part because when we bring your pain down, we're putting out the fires for sure, but we have to identify and being, this is very appropriate living out in California, um, we're putting out the fires, but we also have to make sure that the risk of developing the fire is even less, right? And so that means taking care of our bodies, making sure that we are catching those people who are throwing their cigarette butts into the dry leaves, right. Of our, of our force. So like, those are the things that we need to look into. And yeah. so I'm so appreciative and it's so great to be able to have you describe it. And I've definitely learned a lot today um, about how you, how we can implement this into our daily life. And even just the, the, the principles that you are bringing to the table from your experience. So uh, Anna, I am so thankful. This is really, really awesome and eye-opening and super actionable. Um, and for um, and for the listeners out there, right, who are listening, 
uh, and the YouTube, uh, the, the watchers, and they're trying to figure out, you know what, Anna, you have some really great, awesome principles. I want to ask you some more questions. I want to check this out. What What is the best way for people to get in contact with you if they have questions or, or anything? I love questions. <laughs> I'm a teacher. Uh, the best way to continue this conversation with me, because I love answering questions, and it can be anything like tell me more or here's a specific question I have for my body, is through my website. Go to AnnaRay.com. And my name is kind of weird. It's not R-A-H-E. I'm going to spell it for you. Anna, two N's, A-N-N-A-R-A-H-E, Rahi is phonetic. It doesn't sound as good, but it's AnnaRay.com. <laughs> And if you um, want to type in uh, your email and send me um, some questions, and also you can um, use podcast in our fill and you'll get some 10% discount on any of our products. We have an online store. Um, uh, so if you find that this stuff is helpful and you just want to dive in, um, I'd love to meet you where you're at. I'd love to partner with people and really collaborate on bringing your body um, to optimization and vitalization. Brilliant. Uh, Anna, you are so knowledgeable and I'm so appreciative of your time uh, of being able to share your information. Uh, for the listeners out there, uh, if you didn't get a chance to write that down, um, all of her contact information will actually be in the show notes as well. So definitely check that out. Huge fan of your work. Thank and you, thank Ashley, you so much for your again. time and your expertise and bringing what you're bringing to people. It's such a wonderful gift to be educating and sharing and um, and letting me be a part of it is just an honor. Thank you. Honors all mine. Thank you so much for tuning in. We hope you got some help from today's podcast. And for more info, check us out at ifixyoursciatica.com. Have a fantastic and pain-free day. No patient-therapist relationship is formed by listening to this podcast. We are not providing medical advice and all information should be confirmed by a medical provider.